I'm Isabel Allen, editor of Architecture Today. You're listening to 80 Conversations with Inevidesk. You can subscribe at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcasts. My guests today are Justin Shee, the founder of The Cohab, and I'll let him explain to you what that is in a minute, and Jenny Butzerki from PRP Architects. So, um, Justin, do you want to explain very quickly what The Cohab is? So, yeah, look, Cohab is what we call intergenerational living. Uh, And that term could obviously mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. Um, But within our definition, intergenerational living means an alternative to the retirement home. So we've looked at the retirement living sector and we realised that it's got super favourable demographics in terms of everyone. Well, we have an ageing population. People are living, fortunately, longer, happier, healthy lives on, on average. Um, and there is also a lot of wealth being concentrated amongst the older people and you know, accumulation of housing in the way that previous generations necessarily did. Um, but we think that actually there is a gap in the market to create a product for older people, which isn't a straight up retirement home. And what that looks like in our definition then is that we uh bring in um we basically design our schemes that always have an affordable component in them for younger adults to live in and that means that we are eradicating this whole age ghetto model that retirement living has um and really we're doing this because most older people we speak to tell us that they don't want to live just around other older people this is just what they say time and time again they say you know we'll we'll be chatting to 90 year old guys and they'll be like yeah, I know it sounds kind of nice, but I don't want to live with all those old people. Um, and I think what it made us realise is that while there are many benefits to a retirement home, particularly um, the assistance it can give you when, when you physically need it, um, and, and a lot of old people feel that frustration about physically not wanting to, um, you know, they're frustrated that physically they can't do the things they used to do, um, that actually mentally a lot of older people don't necessarily consider themselves and quote unquote older person. Mm. They want to be in mixed age communities. They want to be around younger people. They want to be integrated very widely into the community. And that's what we're doing with our schemes. You know, every, it's young and old people living side by side. Everyone shares the same amenity spaces. We run events and activities um, for everyone in the community. And um, yeah, that's kind of what we're doing. So I understand that completely, but obviously perceived wisdom is that young people do want to live around young people because they want uh, non-stop parties, Mm. sex, drugs and rock and roll. What you just said may be true for a lot of people, but it's also not true for other young people. So I think just in the same way that sometimes we fall into the trap of stereotyping older people that, you know, they all want to live by the seaside and have tea at six or whatever some stereotypes are. Um, likewise, sometimes we stereotype younger people and we think they all want to, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever. Sure, a lot of them do. But likewise, there are also a lot of younger people that actually really crave to live in much more of a family style environment. We've had hundreds and hundreds of signups on our website from younger people say that actually they're, you know, they've read about what we're doing. They really, really want to live next to a much older person where they can share knowledge and that wisdom. Perhaps they've moved here, um, moved to to the UK from a different country. Perhaps they've moved from a different part of the country. They, they're not necessarily completely integrated with a social network of loads of younger people anyway. Um, and actually moving into a cohab provides a much more relaxed kind of family style environment for them to live in. And you've got to remember that 
you know, it's very easy for us to talk about loneliness and isolation amongst older adults because it's often quite obvious. But it's harder for us to kind of see that problem sometimes with the younger people, but it is as acute, if not sometimes worse, that younger people really struggle with loneliness too. Well, um, Jenny, I'm going to go to you because you're an architect and I know yeah. you have experience of designing developments for multiple generations. Um, what can you tell us about what you've learned and what, what can the architect actually do to make spaces that appeal to both old and young? Um, I think, I mean, I majority of the work I do is in retirement communities as such. Um, but my big um, the thing that drives me about the intergenerational side is that I think there's intergenerational, as Justin's model describes, within a building, but there's equally um, intergenerational within communities, within master plans, within uh, town centres. It should be, um, there's no one size fit all, fits all. And we know that um, at least 95% of the older generation won't actually want to move into something that's been designed especially for them as the age even into something like the cohab we know that the majority of people will want to stay in their home because they believe fiercely that's how they stay independent and that's that's fine so I think what Justin's model's doing which is exciting I think is it's actually starting to sort of open up the choices for people um, and I think from an architectural perspective exactly as Justin described it, it's got to be about that placemaking and creating the community within the building within a wider community and how that new little community that's being brought together can relate better to what's going on around it and um, we've seen for too long um developments that are going ahead and there's no consideration for um certain generations we've seen a drive for first-time buyers for example so or a, a drive from for house builders for um for example family homes everything's got to be families and those those sorts of approaches they just they're, they're just creating a silo or a, a ghetto for one generation that will all age mm. in those houses so i think every building and every community we look at we need to be looking at what is the offer for everyone in that community because that's the only way things stay mixed things you know you create a proper society um and i i think architecturally um it's about uh, how we create that sense of neighborliness within the building and within the wider community you know and it can be something as simple as um we, we did one scheme where we had some little cottages in it and we made sure there was a little seat outside in front of those cottages so that that person when they come out they could sit outside their house and see the neighbors going by or you could have a garden space that's very much shared with your neighbors but just creating through design those little incidental places where people can just naturally mix um, rather than trying to force friendships and force um, uh, communities, but just having that ability to to bump into your neighbour. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that's one of the most important things. I think sometimes when we think of these communities, um, people who maybe haven't spent a lot of time in them or haven't seen many of them picture it as some kind of almost utopia of kind of everyone being super happy. Like, ah, we have like you know, 10 events a day and everyone's playing you know monopoly with each other and isn't it great and you know in reality that's not true that might sometimes happen but it's people just living their day-to-day -day lives as you know you mm. and i did um and actually it's those yeah the, the value often is in those little incidental moments of just kind of bumping into someone and saying hello and chatting for a few minutes and that just makes people's day and it you know it alleviates that points of loneliness that might, they might have otherwise felt during the day well, it's a very fine line isn't there between facilitating and social engineering I've always sort of held that with development it's a bit like a relationship isn't it we can all do the honeymoon period you don't yeah. know if you've got a relationship until you've had an argument and come out the other side 
I always think with any community, it's like, well, anyone can design to iron out. I mean, a lot of housing associations will bend over backwards to put an amazing acoustic insulation because people argue about noise, big fences because people argue about boundaries. But you kind of think it's fine, but then you've almost arrested it in its infancy. You only know you've got a community when people have had been forced to negotiate space or noise or whatever Mm -hmm. it is and come out the other side. Um, so I guess the question I then put to you, Justin, is what what are the flashpoints? You know, you're putting older people and younger people together. Is it noise? Is it mess? What is it? Yeah, so it it, it can be noise. It can be mess. It can be you know, respecting people's boundaries and their choices. Um, but those things also go both ways. So we went to see a scheme in Holland, and and we asked. They, were, they had a number of students living in there. They've got a retirement staff scheme with students living in. And um, I asked one of the younger guys and I said, you know, do you, I know, do you ever have like loud parties? Do you ever get noise complaints? And he was like, yeah, you know, I've had parties here, but there's never been a noise complaint. He said, I'm the only one that's ever made noise complaints. And that's because my neighbour is so deaf, <laughs> but his TV out. is on so loud. <laughs> this is 80 Conversations with Inevidesk experts in virtual desktop infrastructure for architects yeah look it's, they're definitely our flashpoints but you know they, they they do work both ways as in any community and i think what's really important is actually well what are the values of this scheme like you know what are the values of the community that we're setting within that it's asking people are you living by the values of the community are you being respectful of people's decisions and if then it turns out that people aren't and you know as i say that can go both ways then it becomes about okay well do we now need to start setting some more concrete boundaries around this but um every community for that will be different so you know the, you manage the flashpoints as and when they come so how do you manage that do you put in place very formal covenants and management forums and all those sorts of processes um you do put so you have formal management processes absolutely and you have complaints procedures and you have you know we do a bi-weekly town hall where all the residents can come together and they can say what they what they like what they don't like you know any suggestions um so that's you know you try and run it as a uh, as much of a kind of um customer run democracy as possible if you can but if uh, there are instances of people just constantly you know being disrespectful to their neighbors then yeah you do some have to start putting in uh, some more concrete boundaries but that will be you know every community is different and the communities change over time and difficult characters come in and go out difficult characters change their colors so as with any community exactly, exactly it's a constantly evolving um, machine and it's just down to having really really good management that are really on the pulse and really care about it ultimately um, I just want to go back to the architectural topology for a minute. So I take your point, Jenny, that in a way, the, the key is the public space, the boundaries, the thresholds, the nuances. But looking at housing itself, um, obviously, there's this issue at the moment that because of a dearth of attractive housing options for older people, people are hanging on to their home maybe for much longer than they mm. need it. And that's blocking family houses. Perceived wisdom, which I think is true, is that the, the kind of downsizing options available tend to be actually starter homes. Now, why is that such a bad thing? What is the difference between a starter home for a young couple getting on the housing market and a small house for a family whose kids have left home? We designed quite a lot into the, the house that you wouldn't notice when you walked in, if you walked in to look at it. Um, and, uh, you know, and this comes down to things as much as things like space standards so if you as you age and um, you might need some sort of uh, physical assistance you might need physical assistance from a care you might need zimmer frames you might need wheelchairs you might need walking sticks those 
All those things need space in a dwelling and first time houses generally are not that big and they're quite um, they're quite narrow in a lot of, in a lot of areas. But there's also lots of small nuanced things in the design. Again, you walk in, oh, we would hope you'd walk into one of our dwellings and say, oh, it's just a beautiful place to live. But there are things like uh, it being easy to adapt as you get older. So you have the ability to put handrails in, um, the ability if there's a stair in the house that you could put um, a, a, a stair lift up, the ability to maybe sleep downstairs if you weren't able to manage the stairs at all. Um, things, simple things like making sure your oven's at a high level so you're not reaching down. There's lots and lots of little nuances behind the way, the way that these dwellings are actually designed that actually just look beautiful, but mm. they're actually there and they're designed in so you can change it really simply um, as you age. So it's like aging in place. And when you go to a starter home, they're trying to keep the cost of those to the absolute minimum to be able to attract first time buyers and they won't be able to afford to put in those these types of little extra bits into it. So I think that that for me is is the key um, to being able to make sure you can age in place. And of course, um, that that's the, I mean that's the huge distinction. Is it probably more than physical physical health? Which is yeah, the older generation, as you say, are the cash rich. They're fueling the economy now. They're the people with yeah. pensions that are paid off and and with buying power, which first time buyers don't have. So I guess that brings me just into the the financial model. The plan is to lease properties or to sell properties. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's very much a kind of build to rent operation. How do you get around the fact that young people have no money, <laughs> older people ha- are quite cash rich? Do you have a kind of mechanism that addresses that? Yeah, we do. So um, our schemes have affordable housing built into them anyway. So we're targeting schemes where there is an affordable component. So the they younger people maybe key workers so maybe local teachers doctors nurses um and there is you know every local authority has their own kind of way of, of look of approaching affordable housing for that element so that's quite easy to build them build into the scheme then for older people yeah look there is it's more expensive it's more expensive than just if you were to rent a one-bed flat of zoopla um but that you get a lot more for it. You know, we have much more staffing. You know that if you have a fall in the middle of the night, there are people to there to come and help. Um, you know that there are people kind of helping um, nurture the community. You know that it's been designed in a way that's very specific for your needs. So yeah, you do that. There is value generated in that premium that um, older people pay in our schemes. Um, but we don't see that as a conflict. The fact that an older person is paying more than a young person because ultimately the older person gets a lot more um out of it in terms of time from staffing in terms of the design requirements that they need um so it's 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 not too hard to sell when do you kick younger people out when do young people stop being young people <laughs> yeah. have to move on <laughs> yeah Look, this, is, this is one of the biggest issues with this business is that we can't find um a better Lang- we can't find any better language than young and old because i'm so sure not- i'm really young just to clarify honestly like i've been trying to find better term than young and old to describe people mm. there are different terms but i think when, when you're just when you're pitching it and like just a kind of basic concept so that people can understand easily like young and old is a term that people identify with there's nothing in our scheme that says you have to be a certain age to live in either part of the scheme so you know you could be a um, 50 year old who is a key worker and some people might say you say you're young some people might say you're old so like you know it's just, it's just subjective but likewise there might be a um, 60 year old in the older person's accommodation who's decided that actually maybe their mobility is failing a bit at that point in their life and they've decided to move into that 
um, into our cohab accommodation design for older adults um, because it suits them at that time of their needs. You know, mm, mm. not old, but um, it's what they might need at that point in their life. So, yeah, it's it's not it's not like a we wouldn't be like oh you you hit your thirtieth birthday you're out. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Harrison for everyone mm-hmm. unless you're between thirty and forty two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it, it, it is an area, isn't it, where language hasn't caught up with our thinking and I think uh, I mean Saga is obviously an organization that's done a fantastic amount in terms of just sort of busting the kind of myths and tendencies to ghettoize between the old the infirm the inactive and the young and the bride um and you know we're all probably going to be working till we're 76 aren't we I'm guessing I think I'll... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't haven't looked into my pension but I think it was about 30 quid in it last time I looked at um so you know I think that there's a huge perception issue, but also on the style front. And I mean, Jenny, as an architect, you're probably going to have a lot to say on this. But um, certainly when I was working in housing, I found that the over 70s were much more receptive to modernism, brutalism. They've maybe been brought up in an era where, do you know what, living in a cute Georgian terrace wasn't your dream at all it was damp and a bit smelly and far too small um we did a fascinating consultation we were trying to do some housing for older people in Oxford and I remember quite distinctly having three women of a certain age saying they didn't want kitchens they spent their whole life frankly peeling potatoes you know before ready meals before microwaves before dishwashers uh the husband's died kids are grown up all they want to make sure is that their savings last before they die so they can have every meal in a cafe. They just want to know where the nearest cafe is. They're done with all that. You know, in a way, they were setting a much more radical agenda, whereas the kind of, uh, you know, the newlyweds, like, oh, yeah, you know, cook Sunday lunch, we want the kitchen, we want the Arga, and I do we want a farmhouse table as well if you can do that at rock bottom prices. Um, are you finding that, that there's the kind of assumptions about aesthetic tastes are being turned on their head now? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked uh, in older people's housing for quite a long time, and I would say it, things have changed in, in that time. And certainly, our current over seventies are a lot more discerning. Um, they're they're looking for services as much as they are, um, you know, around their lifestyle. They're look, they're looking for exactly what you've described. They're 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 getting to their deliveries and their technology and time, time, and, and time. Yeah, time yeah. is precious. And you're right; they've spent a lot of time. A lot, a lot more women. In this generation, will have worked, um, and I think they 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 are looking for something contemporary. I'm not sure they're not looking for any kitchen. They're quite happy to have a kitchen that um, that someone else comes around and cooks for them in. Mm. Um, but I think they are looking at contemporary. Actually, um, you know, we 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 do have some developers still that look very much at the you know, everything being a little bit more closed. But for me, I love the contemporary open plan and um, living is just the way it should go. Because apart from anything else, again, go back to this whole idea of having a care ready um, environment to live in and a barrier free. It takes out all those barriers. You don't have doors to try and open yeah, and carry yeah. things. And, you know, just it's it's a much freer way to, to live. And I think our, our current older generation are, they are the ones that probably actually be annoyed that the younger person next door hasn't invited them to the party um, rather than, and that's probably Probably the only reason that they were complete, <laughs> I think. I also wanted to talk just for a minute about um, coronavirus and the impact that's had on us. I mean, I think at a very basic level, I think and hope that it has made us all cherish our older relatives mm. and friends and neighbours much, much more, hasn't it? It's really brought home that they're vulnerable and and fragile. Has that translated into the way we view them 
in the community and in society, do you think? I think so. I definitely think so. I think um, it's also shone a bit of a spotlight on those um, older people who are on their own at home. Mm. Um, and the fact that there may not be somebody knocking on their door every day to see if they're okay or somebody might be helping them with their shopping or just that whole sort of well-being. You know, it's, you know, if you even think of, you know, people, I've I've heard some older people saying, oh, I'm so glad I've stayed in my house. I've really cherished my garden. Well, that was last summer. Mm. I've been through a winter of that and I'm sure that's Mm. not, not the same case. Um, you know, the flip side of that is, is that we have heard from a lot of clients who um, run older people's developments who are able to manage, you know, make sure they're staying safe, but make sure they're actually being able to talk to somebody every day, not socially isolated, make sure they're getting food delivered, that they're actually taking care of themselves. And from a design perspective, it, you know, again, the whole well-being, the access to outdoor space, you know, it's so it's become so important. Ventilation in the buildings, make sure things aren't overheating. All those things have become really, really important um, over the last year. And it's things that, as we move forward, I don't, you know, I would hope I never hear a client again saying, oh, "We don't need to put balconies in this building," because of course you do. You know, we all need garden space. We all need um, that access to it. And I think it's become really important in the last year. Well, also, we've all learned, haven't we, of actually what it really means to be isolated and not to see your friends and to have to get used to your own company. Thank you so much, Justin and Jenny. It's fantastic work you're doing. I think really important for for society as a whole, but also for architecture. Um, Thank you both very much for joining me. You've been listening to 80 Conversations with Inevidesk. To subscribe, visit architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcasts.